Hey, thanks so much for listening in to the Better Podcast. Wherever you're listening to this from, I want to say a big thank you for joining us today. We have Ed Haynes with us here, fresh from the gym at Coastal Fitness Hong Kong. Welcome, Ed. Hi, Mel. Good to be here. How's the new facility looking so far? It's great. It's awesome. Um, this has been a long time coming, actually. So we actually tried to move into this place about a year ago. And then the contract fell through because it just wasn't quite right. So we actually ended up staying in our old premises, Seaview, for an extra year. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was like a 12-month negotiation process. Finally, finally got it right. So it's kind of, this has been like 12 months of excitement uh, building to kind of the opening week. Uh, the facility is amazing. We finally have high ceilings and a ground floor, which we've been begging for forever. Um, members are loving it. Obviously, you've got your just your normal teething problems when opening up a new facility, but it's been a really great, exciting week and uh, super pumped for what lies ahead. Well, you first opened the doors to Coastal Fitness in 2009, am I right? So actually, you know, 2009 was when Coastal Fitness was first formed. And that was me mm-hmm. as a solo personal trainer, strength coach. And then we've actually only been, we've only had a facility or an HQ since 2013. And that was the one at CV, That was CV. That was our very first ever facility, yeah. And this is the first time you've had a full facility to yourself, not sharing it with a different business. Yep. Yeah, first time, just us. That's super exciting. And that must be quite an achievement considering how expensive real estate is in Hong Kong. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the business model of running a gym and a fitness facility in Hong Kong is very different to anywhere else in the world, uh, which is great because that, that has its own sets of challenges. And, you know, as a, as a business owner, you know, making sure you're doing what you love but still being profitable in a market which is just so challenging because of real estate. I think, it, mm-hmm. uh, I think it forces you to learn the hard way pretty quickly. So it's good. I wouldn't have it any other way, but uh, yeah, it's definitely a tough, a tough place to be doing this. So for, for the benefit of people who don't know, can you tell us how a rugby has been, as described by yourself, um, go from a professional rugby player for the Hong Kong international team to business owner of a very successful CrossFit gym and team? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I guess we'll talk about rugby then to start. <laughs> so I was, all those throwback photos are going to come online right now oh dear no <laughs> um so yeah so rugby was uh my main sport for the majority of my I guess my childhood and teenage and young adult years uh so I was, I was a big big fan of all sports and I still am kind of wanted to learn everything and anything and not necessarily specialize in anything any one sport but kind of got to a point where there was opportunities arising as a 17 year old to actually take rugby a little bit further. Um, so the Hong Kong national team had kind of spoken to me and a, and a couple of other guys who had played an age group rugby and said, you know, we'd like to invest in you guys and kind of bring you through the ranks and see if you can represent, you know, the national team as adults. And it was going through an era of kind of like moving into professionalism for the very first time. So it was an exciting time to be a part of it. It's come a long way since then. And I think at that point in life, it was kind of, I wasn't necessarily rugby wasn't my number one necessarily my number one choice. It was probably what I was best at relative to the other sports. So I kind of had to make a decision to then, you know, go wholeheartedly at one thing and stop doing the rest. So that's kind of when What else did you play? So I played football a lot. Um and I played I wouldn't you know, competitively I had trials with the Hong Kong team, didn't make it. But just I love just love football. I think it's a great sport and seem to have a bit of a talent for it. Um but you know, just generally just honestly, any sports, like whether it's kayaking on the water, 
um, tennis, running, rugby, football, anything outdoors, snowboarding. Yeah, like you name it, I've probably spent some time doing it. Um, so yeah, then pursued rugby and, you know, went to university, came back and I guess at the time had aspirations to, you know, really develop myself as a professional rugby player. And there was opportunities in Hong Kong with the national setup to actually do that, which is really cool. So then in 2011, we went to the Asia games and we were the first Hong Kong team to ever win a medal at the game. So we won silver, uh, which was cool because it kind of put Hong Kong rugby sevens on the map. And we got government spending, uh, government sponsorship, government funding from that. So 13 players were put onto the Hong Kong Sports Institute program. And we were basically on full-time salaries um, representing the country. And that sounds like the dream. Yeah, it was awesome. But it, actually, at the same time for me, I'd already started Coastal Fitness kind of when this was all happening. So whilst I had aspirations to pursue a career as a rugby player, I just had, I just knew that being in strength conditioning and personal training and working with people, whatever, or whatever way that looked like was kind of where I was going to end up. And I didn't want to wait, didn't want to wait for, you know, a career in rugby to potentially take off or not take off and, you know, live with the regret of potentially missing out on opportunity and doing something I love at an early age. So rather than waiting on the whole rugby thing to take off, I still dedicated myself fully at that, but also started up Coastal Fitness. So by the time we became a professional sport and we were professional athletes, I was already you know, working seven days a week, early starts, late finishes with Coastal Fitness as a personal trainer. And I was actually the only one really within that squad who had a full-time job. And two years of doing that, just the attrition just really, really took a hold of me. And that's when I first started learning about you know, symptoms of adrenal fatigue and managing stress mm-hmm. and what's too much and what's too little. And I basically just wore myself out. And it was also a time where, you know, I'd started looking at nutrition and playing around with carb cycling and doing all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff back in 2010. Uh, and I was just doing way too much and just wasn't managing myself. And at the end of the day, it got to a, a couple of years of doing that. And I had to make a decision whether to pursue rugby and stop coastal fitness and do my job or, um, the other one, which was to stop rugby and just fully pursue a career with coastal fitness. And it was just, it was kind of brainless. I'd fallen not out of love with rugby, but I could just see I was getting so much more satisfaction out of my day-to-day um, activities with my job as a trainer versus my job as an athlete. So basically, yeah, then made the decision to stop with rugby and go full-time with coastal fitness. And at this point, um, and my brother had joined the company Andy Brett Sarnos had joined the company. So we'd start, we'd moved from basically Coastal Fitness being just Ed Haynes, the coach, to then being a team of four and then slowly, you know, growing and getting to where we are today. So that's awesome. Yeah, so I think just, you know, and looking back as to why that all evolved, I've, I've kind of said it before that the reason I wanted to pursue rugby so much was because I actually loved the training aspect of rugby so much that having an opportunity to be professional and be paid for training was just the coolest thing and i think over time i was i talk about and we know everyone talks about it now you know having your why and and knowing why you do things but i didn't really have a clear why back then you know why didn't really know why i'd chosen to pursue rugby or why i thought that was what i wanted to do but the more and more time went on i started to realize that what i was actually enjoying the most as an athlete was the training process more so than the actual competing process. So it kind of led me to then believe and and work out and realize that 
well, if I'm here for the training, like I could actually, you know, is being a competitive athlete and a professional athlete actually what I really want to do? And then, you know, being able to train and then pass on that knowledge and wisdom to my clients and people I work with and my other coaches was just, it just all made sense. Mm. Um, a lot of us, you know, who don't have the experience of professional uh, training or just in, in general uh, athletic uh, backgrounds won't really understand the difference between being paid to train people versus being uh, paid to train yourself. Yeah. So what was the life like when, so for example, you've always lived kind of this split life as you've described earlier on. Uh, what was the biggest change then after you've transitioned out of that role of being professional rugby player to full-time coach? What within you, did you feel change Yeah. Um, in terms of your goals? Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, cause it, I think being a professional athlete or even just an athlete, whether it's semi-professional or someone who just, you know, dedicates themselves at a sport, even on a hobby level, I think at the end of the day, a lot of people who are involved in competitive sport do it because they love the competitiveness of the sport. And I think, you know, side effects of that is camaraderie and teamwork, you know, depends whether you're an individual or a team athlete. I've always been a team athlete. So I think the biggest hole that people find when they move from being an athlete into a professional career is mm. they miss that competitive, that competitive, you know, bubble that used to consume them and all of a sudden they go from being in a team and competing every weekend to not having anything to be a part of and i think you know you see obviously there's so many stories now about ex-professional athletes moving into the next chapter of life and you know hitting depression and you know, the worst the worst case of it being suicide you know that, that kind of story is just is is popping up everywhere and way too often now but i think for me because i'd already identified that being an athlete, being an athlete maybe wasn't what I wanted to do and having a professional career was what I wanted to do. But at the same time, knowing that the reason I loved playing rugby was, was the competition aspect as well. So I needed to replace that and coming out of being a rugby player into being a coach, but also pursuing the sport of CrossFit as an, as an quote unquote athlete for the first time, I kind of replaced that competitive bubble immediately. So I went from rugby to then, you know, the next year actually going to regionals on the team in mm -hmm. Asia's very last year in 2014. So it's kind of like it was more just like shifting my competitive goals to another sport. And I didn't even have like a period of lull or like a time where I wasn't involved in something. I just kind of went straight from one thing to another, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. So I found the actual shift was the biggest shift for me was because I was already busy and and you know dedicating time to my trade as a coach and a trainer nothing really changed there it just meant i had more time to do that because i didn't have to worry about rugby anymore but the biggest shift for me was moving from being a, a team sport athlete to an individual sport athlete and actually like even today that's a thing from a competition standpoint when i do go and compete even though it's not my priority anymore it is uh it's still learning how to be an individual athlete and not be a team athlete How's that? How's that different for you? Uh, I just think it's 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 so different because as a team, you feed off the energy of your teammates, and you you, right. you know you share your successes and your losses with a group of other people. Whereas the accountability as an individual athlete is you have pretty much yourself and no one else to share those experiences with. If you're lucky enough to have a coach who is there with you, yeah. then I guess you do the battles together. But for me, it was kind of you know, coming to terms with having to work stuff out by myself for once and not having right. a team to kind of fall back on and talk to and, and share emotion with. 
Um, and it's, but it's been great. Like, you know, it's been great because it's, it's made me realize, learn, made me learn so much more about the mind and the brain and how that can affect competition and emotion. And, you know, I actually ended up working with a sports psychiatrist for a short amount of time, just because I wanted to know more about why I was having these things with being an individual athlete that I never had as a team athlete. And, you know, from working with someone like a sports psychiatrist who specialized in it, you just learn so much more. And that was just really good stuff for me to kind of pass on to my athletes and my, and my clients. So I find that, yeah, that, that from a sport to sport standpoint, yeah, going from team to individual has actually been one of the biggest challenges for me. Awesome. I mean, one of the, uh, one of the things that I learned the most from being a part of the team even just for a year on CrossFit Tanjung Pagar was um, you really, you learn how to lean on other people as a team player. Mm. Um, just, just because of the nature of the way the workouts are designed in CrossFit that you have to work as a team, especially in la- uh, the regionals last year, uh, you guys were there with the worm as well. So you, you know the importance of being able to communicate with other people and having everyone's strength levels be sort of the same or at least on par with each other. Um, and how important that was to deciding the success of the team in general. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I want to take this as a segue to talk about the success of the coastal fitness team at regionals. You guys have made regionals. Is it three, four years now in a row? Uh, four years. Four years in a row now. Congratulations. That's not a small feat. Thank you. Um, how do you, why do you think uh, you guys have had such a long streak of success? given the ever changing nature of the regionals. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think it's, I think it differs case. It, the case differs year by year. So if you look back at 2014, the very first regionals that we ever qualified to, we were just, I think where Asia was as a crossfitting region at the time was, it was still very much in its infancy. There'd been, you know, a small number number of individuals and gyms who'd been there already for a few years and had therefore kind of had a head start with the sport. Um, Whereas for the most part, the majority of us, we were kind of exploring a new sport for the first time. And I think, and I think this goes into a deeper conversation about crossfitters in general, especially in Asia. Like you said at the start of this conversation, most people who are involved in the sport of CrossFit don't come from a professional or high-level sporting background. So a lot of us are adults who are just kind of coming into this new form of exercise and realize that there's an avenue for us to be competitive in. And it's for the first time in our lives, for, for many people, you know, we're suddenly in a team and we're performing on like a big stage and we're competing against other people. Whereas I think our advantage in 2014 was as a team of six people, we'd all come from sporting backgrounds. So whilst we were all new in terms of learning the sport and being exposed to it and seeing and understanding what was required to be good, because we had all of us team sport background, Jamie had played rugby and football, Andy was a footballer, I played rugby and numerous other sports, um, Babs had played hockey to a high level. Emily Crutchley had played netball and hockey. And then Sophie kind of always been in like, well, she was a dancer, but, you know, been in the team environment for a long time. So naturally it was kind of, we were all very raw in terms of our talent, but we all understood the values of being a team, the, which meant things like, you know, working harder for each other, communication, the importance of bonding and getting along with each other. And we didn't have any politics or, you know, a lot of the things that we saw other teams breaking down with, we didn't have that because we just, we understood it. Mm -hmm. And so I think we were immediately a head start. And I think 
going a little bit deeper into that, all of us coming from sports which had a strength training component to it. So Babs had already been weight training for three or four years. Sophie had already been a client of ours for a couple of years. Uh, sorry, for a year or so, but, you know, dancers just pick up things so naturally and she's naturally a strong girl. And then Emily had already been weightlifting and weight training. And then myself, Andy and Jamie had all been weight training for a period of time already. So again, whilst we ha- we were in our infancy as crossfitters, quote unquote, mm. we, uh, we had like the prerequisite structural foundations and strength endurance and strength to basically do what was required on that weekend to a decent enough level because a decent enough level then meant we actually finished fourth which is actually always when i think about yeah, it, it's yeah. insane that we, we went into that last workout being in a podium spot when all of us had been crossfitting for about nine months it's hilarious um, I think I remember that regionals quite clearly because um, walking into that weekend, you had one member that was unwell. Am I yes, right? Andy Bratsanos. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think what happened was that during the snatch event, which was the very first event, uh, there was a lot of uncertainty on whether how you, like how you guys would even fare that weekend. Yeah. And you somehow pulled a magnificent finish at the end yeah well well i think most of us had only learned how to snatch about six months before that i actually (laughs) i actually opened and i I get reminded of this on a daily basis in fact (laughs) even today it was brought up i opened my hang snatch with 55 kilograms and i missed it (laughs) i missed it and then i think emily crutchley had two fraction plates on the side of her bar like it was pretty much the bar was sitting on the floor she had to bend over so far to pick it up so i actually think we finished almost dead last in that event and then won the handstand event, the handstand walk event. And we don't need to learn how to handstand walk about three weeks before, like everyone else. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's just a hilarious weekend. But I think the success of us in that year was, you know, as I said, just being fortunate enough to have a group of individuals who had played sport for a long time, who understand, who understood what it was, what it took to be a part of a team and to be an effective team. And we had natural mm. leaders within that group as well. And then, yeah, having just as a team, everyone kind of having the prerequisite strength to be able to do the movements. I mean, if you had three girls in 2014 who could all do muscle-ups, immediately you were an advantage and all of our girls could do muscle-ups. And then if you could have three girls who could do a strict handsome push-up, even like one or two in Asia was good. Mm. Again, you were an advantage and we could do that. So I think that's what attributed to our success in 2014. But I think going back beyond that kind of to even how we got into a situation of having a group of kind of talented sports people is I think in our, in the way that we've always branded ourselves as a business is that we, we specifically want to work with people who are dedicated, driven individuals. And I think because that's been kind of, part of our mantra from day one it doesn't mean that you need to be a high level athlete or you need to be gifted from a physical standpoint it just means that you know we've always been we've always advocated you know training at least three times a week with whether it's a group class or personal training or remote coaching Mm -hmm. you know really investing your time and commitment into wanting to be better at whatever it is that you do and i think because we weren't afraid to set that precedence from the start we naturally over time just attracted those kind of people so you know we had i remember our very first website was tom who was one of our coaches who had Mm. his top off with like an eight pack bulging out (laughs) ripping into an airdyne and 
at classic first, crossfit photo yeah, what well, do you mean well, at first it was you know everyone was like you know you shouldn't be putting that kind of stuff on your website and you know we've come a long way as as business people since then but you know i think at the time was well you know we don't want people to we don't want to lie to people about you know who we want to work with and what we're all about mm-hmm. obviously like getting your message right is something that we've also learned with so i think now having someone with an eight pack ripping into an airdyne might not be the best thing, but, um, you know, it was, it basically comes back to us setting a precedence as to who we wanted to be as a business and, you know, what message we wanted to send out to anyone and everyone who wanted to be a part of us. And so that was right. 2014. And then, you know, that team actually stuck together for the next year. So no real changes there. Again, we just started to learn and understand more about the sport in 2015. That was the first year at the Pacific regionals. Um, we started to understand the sport more. So we, I think as a team, we all developed as athletes. A lot of the team were on individualized coaching programs or kind of, you know, like guiding ourselves. We didn't actually join. Not many of us were actually part of the group program. So kind of six individuals there who had already invested in individualized training programs and therefore were moving maybe a little bit faster in terms of development compared to a lot of other people in Asia. So none of you guys were training together on the same program? No. So actually, even since then, um, after 2014 was the first time I invested in a coach. And I think pretty much all of us as a coaching team did the same thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, in, in fact, like, you know, our coming together as a team would always be kind of, you know, as the competition season would roll in and, you know, the Open would start, that's when we started to come together as a team. So we would dedicate, you know, one day a week to making sure that we were getting touches on teamwork and being in the environment together and encouraging and cheering and giving advice, all that kind of stuff. But for the majority of the year, which would be, you know, seven to nine months, it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty lonely journey just kind of being in the gym by yourself, doing your own stuff. Mm-hmm. Before we go any further, I wanted to ask about the selection process that you guys do at Coastal Fitness. <clears throat> yeah. How do you determine that someone is regionals ready or you know obviously you set a very high bar for most people to meet and that attracts a certain type of clientele who may be ambitious may have some kind of background in sports or um just strength training in general and want to be a part of the team how do you break into that um i guess core group you know how do you audition for that team yeah um so this has been a, a massive roller coaster journey for us we've uh we started with a process that we thought was going to be the best way to do it. And it ended up not being very successful and our kind of methods for selection have changed every single year. But you actually, you actually mentioned there the word, the words core group. Actually, when we think back to 2014, 15, we really put a precedence on actually creating a group of people who, you know, whose goals were, beyond what the group program could offer. So it was basically a group of people who had ambitions to want to compete in competitions like regionals. And therefore we kind of created a training group, which a lot of gyms would call like a competitive training group who we kind of get together once a week and start training. I think at the time it achieved the goal of us being able to get the best athletes at regionals. But we also had a lot of negative effects of that. You know, we, we ended up neglecting a lot of other people in the gym, right. giving, pre- yeah, giving precedence to, you know, a performance group in a sense that they were superior to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're so focused on competition, and I think as a coaching team, we were all, as athletes ourselves, we kind of had our blinkers on and were a bit oblivious to kind of what else was happening in the gym as a result of having this core group. Mm-hmm. And it's actually something that we've actually gotten rid of, you know, we kind of, that was a big learning year, 2015, 2016 for us in a sense that it started to create a divide within our community 
that mm. moved away from why we got into this in the first place. So kind of dodging your question a little bit, you know, the whole core <laughs> group thing, it definitely was something that was prevalent back back in 2014 and 15, but it was something we've actually moved away from completely now. So I guess going returning to your question as to how we select our team, um, we've done everything, and I, and I still don't know if there is a right way to select a team for regionals. It's so hard. I think we, in, in, yeah, in the first year, we, we talked about, you know, what are the options here? So one option would be, right, we go off everyone's open school placing. But then we all know that the open workouts mm-hmm. are never a true reflection of what's expected from people at regionals. So therefore, right. that may not be the most accurate way to do it. But you are rewarding people for contributing scores and kind of getting you there in the first place. But at the end of the day, if your goal is to do as best you can as a team at regionals, then really what you're looking for is you need to select the best individual athletes while keeping in mind that things like teamwork, camaraderie and and communication and commitment to training and that kind of stuff is also really important. So, you know, how do you then select the team that is made up of your best individuals, but also can take into consideration, you know, the fact that it is a team event and teamwork is also really important, especially last year when you introduce things like the worm, things which require all six people to work together. I think it's even more so. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, sorry, you're going to jump in there, Mel? Yeah, I was was going to ask how important is attitude um, in just the selection criteria that you've outlined and how do you measure that if you do measure it at all? Yeah, so I think... It is really hard. So I think what we did, what we did previously was to basically say, all right, well, so, so and so is more committed than so and so because they can commit to all the training sessions. You know, we did well in the open. Therefore, this is going to be our selection criteria. These are going to be our teams. Is everyone happy with this? And as a group, we said, yeah, I think it's kind of fair enough. And then we basically made our team selection. Then the workouts come out. And obviously, the workouts that came out, actually, when you look back at the the group that we had to select from, we didn't select the six best individuals. There were actually people who were left out of the group of the team who probably would have done better on competition day. So we basically took that life lesson and basically moved on to the next year and said, right, the next only fair way to do this is we're actually going to run and simulate a competition weekend. Hmm. So what we did, we basically, we put it out to our entire kind of our entire community and said, would you be interested in and giving it a push for regionals this year? And, you know, we got back responses and we had, uh, I think, I think we had 10 or 10 or 11 females, which is the females was really competitive. Wow. That's a lot. That's unusual for the Asia CrossFit. Really unusual. Yeah. And we only had kind of five or six males who were competing. So what we said was that instead of running it based on, you know, subjective opinion and who would be this based on, you know, what people have seen throughout the year, we're actually going to run a testing weekend. So what we did, we came up with six to seven workouts, which simulated a regional weekend. There was justification behind every single workout that we wrote. Um, And actually, so Andy, we asked someone who was neutral, who wasn't partaking in the event to actually write the workouts. And then we kind of agreed them as a group to be, you know, whether or not we thought it was a fair reflection of what you'd probably see at regional. So what that did was a was to, it was a pretty broad test of fitness. It was touching on all the pieces you're going to see at regionals, you know, heavy overhead snap, snatching or squatting. There was muscle ups, there was handstand walking, handstand push-ups, all the things that we typically see based on statistical data at the regional level. But it mm. also created a highly stressful competitive environment, which basically also 
assess people's ability to perform under pressure because especially the women were under immense amounts of pressure because everyone wanted these three spots and there was 10 people competing you know over seven events so it was actually really cool to see so i think at the end of the day what that did was we all kind of went into a, a pool or a table so to speak and then the three top guys and the three top girls after those seven workouts were then selected for regionals you know we all agreed that for that year that was the best way to do it you know there was no there was no uh, going to be no kind of negotiation over you know could i go in because of this and that the other no it was whatever the testing came out of the weekend that would be you know the, the final answer and then obviously yeah. the workouts come out and then we have the same problem again so the workouts came out <laughs> and we basically realized oh so and so might have been better than so and so based upon the weight of this load sorry the load of this movement and therefore you know we kind of finished the next year having revamped and tried something completely different with still not having necessarily the best answer to the problem <laughs> so what we did last year which i think has probably been most effective but it also has its downsides is we said we all kind of acknowledged as a team because we had a lot of people who'd been there before like myself and emily had been mm-hmm. you know previously to all all three other regionals as we said right we've learned from our mistakes we can acknowledge what those mistakes are and you know me as a gym owner and someone who is a big part of that selection process put my hand up to say you know i thought this would be the best way but it wasn't so i'm open to being vulnerable but i'd like some feedback as to how we can make this better together so what we said this year was right we're actually just going to wait for the workouts to come out now as you know being in in Mm. asia that's hard because houses go really fast in wollongong and flights get more expensive so we were basically at the mercy of waiting for crossfit hq to release the workouts which was actually Mm. was only i think two to three weeks before regionals but because we had a really honest conversation as a training group to say that this is how we're going to do it and is everyone okay with it you know, there was no complaints because we all knew what we were what we were buying into. We knew that this would probably be the most honest reflection as to who actually warranted a space in that team because everyone was just as committed as each other. Everyone had dedicated themselves throughout the year. Everyone, 100%. yeah, we, it, you know, most of the people in that in that selection group had been with Coastal for at least you know two to three years, so we knew each other really well. So it was now coming down to the point where, well, let's just select the best team possible given the workouts that came out. And then the workouts got released and then we, yeah, we selected the three best guys and the three best girls and actually ended up being our most successful year ever at the Pacific Regionals. So I don't know if it's single-handedly down to that, but it was probably definitely the most smooth sailing selection process that we could Mm. have done. Do you ever consider doing a hybrid of the different attempts that you've done before? Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, like I said, it's definitely not, I'm still not 100% satisfied with waiting for the workouts to come out. Yes, yeah, because it is a very costly decision. It is to very make. costly, yeah. It is, I mean, it's already a costly decision deciding to put a team towards regionals anyway, but waiting that late just jacks everything else up. And, you know, also remembering that most of our team have full time jobs. So applying for things like leave is also really hard. So, I'm not really sure. I actually haven't really put too much thought about it you know, towards it this year. I guess, you know, the big changes in the format means qualification is going to be even more uncertain for us. So, you know, we're not taking anything for granted to say that we're mm-hmm. going to make it again. Um, mm-hmm. But if we do make it, then I'll definitely put some thought and kind of come together as a group again to try and work out the best way possible to make sure we select the best people, um, yeah, to go and represent Coastal Fitness. Cool. 
I mean, for most of the people who are listening to this, this podcast, they probably don't have the luxury of having to select a bunch of people. Um, but I mean, there's a lot to be said about grooming ingrown talent, right? Um, and I know that you guys have started a program recently for people to follow the coastal fitness programming remotely. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and just what, what direction you're taking it with? Yeah, so for sure. So the, we basically have our, our CrossFit group program. I think it always requires a little bit of explanation because it's quite different to, I think, a lot of other gyms in the sense that within mm. our CrossFit program, we have three levels, which isn't that uncommon. A lot of gyms have a multi-tiered system to cater for you know, individuals in that group. So we have three levels. Level one is our fitness program. And then our next one is a performance program. And then we have the competitors program. So it's not necessarily a progression from beginner to advanced. And I think that's the first thing we try. It's a, it's a myth we try and, and break down straight away because the goals of each group are actually very different. So if we talk mm -hmm. about the fitness program first, so fitness program, the goals of that are to develop structural balance, develop basic absolute strength, mm -hmm. develop capacity across broad domains, but primarily through cyclical movements. And that's right. essentially bodybuilding. So we're, we're basically trying to improve people's health and body composition in the safest and healthiest way possible. So mm -hmm. within that training group, you'll notice I never use the word CrossFit because CrossFit actually doesn't really feature within that training group at all. We love, as a coaching team and as a, as a company, we love mm. what mixed modal training does and the benefits it provides and the fun in a group setting that it that you get from it. But we're not in any means or by any means trying to peak people for the sport of CrossFit. Yep. So then the performance group is our first actual CrossFit program where the goals of the performance group is to peak all the clients for the open. So anyone who follows the performance group, your goal all year is so when the open rolls around, the expectation is that you sign up and that you're in the best possible shape or you develop the necessary strength and prerequisites to perform at your highest level in the open. Mm. So then the competitors program is for people who have, you know, goals that maybe extend further than just the performance growing. So they might be pursuing things like Asia championships wanting to push for a slot at regionals, um, you know, competing in more local or regional-based competitions because there's loads of those going on now. And so, therefore, the training requirements, the comp competitors group, goes beyond just the 60 minutes in a class. They have kind of 15 to 30 minutes of accessory work they must do themselves, which is self-guided through videos through our program. Um, but also an understanding that the expectation for our competitors group is that you really have some higher elevated goals with regards to competing in the sport of crossfit yeah. so what we've had is basically all three of those groups and actually when you look at from a participation standpoint our biggest groups in-house at coastal are our fitness group and our performance group so we have the most amount most number of attendees in those two groups and then our smallest training group is our competitors yeah. group because it's funny because i think a lot of people especially in the crossfit you know kind of in the crossfit circles around asia i think a lot of people think of coastal fitness just being about the competitive side when really when you kind of look at it from a participation standpoint they're actually our smallest group so yeah. what we've actually done is that we we understand that we have eventually we're going to reach a ceiling where we just can't get any more people in-house 
And so right. what we want to do is we want to try and, and reach out to other people right around the region or around the world to be a part of our community somehow. So it's kind of a bit of a project at the moment. It's a bit of a project of mine is that I, I'm trying to grow the participation of people on those three programs. So essentially how it works is that every day we use a system called WhatUp, which is basically like an athlete tracking system similar to Whatify. So the workout of the day gets posted for all three groups. And then we wait as a coaching team on data to come through from the athletes who are within each group. So what do they lift on their back squat? What do they lift in their snatch? What was their time for the conditioning piece? And then mm -hmm. when we get all that data in from each three groups, we review the data and basically take that data and build it back into the training program. So the idea is that the stimulus provided for each of the three groups is mm -hmm. catered for the majority of people within that group. So if you follow the performance program, you should never really have to scale a movement or a load based upon your ability level. Because if you're having to scale movements and loads, then the training program probably isn't right for you. I mean, scaling loads 5 or 10% is absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're having to change every single workout, then obviously the dose response of what was intended for me as a coach to what you actually get out of it as an athlete is completely different. So, and How many people are we talking about in terms of, you know, let's say the number of people on this program for the the performance group so yeah what's we, your sample size so we we currently have about we have about 30 to 40 people who are logging every day in the performance group who train in-house and then we have about 15 to 20 people who are around the region around the world who are also contributing scores to that so kind of getting six, 60 scores for the performance program every single day that's a pretty good sample size yeah yeah it's great it's really cool so i think you know, I think what we're trying to say is that our the program actually gets it, we program typically on a two week basis. So we go two weeks ahead of time, and and every time data comes in from a group, if we're going through a testing phase or there is testing required in one of the workouts, then we're basically taking all that data, we're exporting it from the system, and creating trends for each group. So the trends for the performance group, for example, might be that. In September 2017, the average male snatch was 78 kilograms. We retested in January, and the average male snatch has now gone up to 82 kilograms. Relative mm. to the clean and jerk, which has gotten weaker in the two testing periods, we now need to prioritize clean and jerks because, as we know, the goal of CrossFit for most of us is to develop strength across the board and mm. to not necessarily specialize anything. So it kind of, we kind of go back and forward based upon what data comes back into the system. Mm. I think it's no surprise to most people that um, your uh, your Instagram bio actually starts with founder of Coastal Fitness Performance Training, which is a is a status, right? And passionate coach is an adjective that you used to describe yourself uh, as the first, uh, I guess, undefined role. Yeah. Uh, and anybody who has spent any time looking at your Instagram stories know that you t you spend a lot of time tracking just the performance of the people who do follow your program and looking over their scores, making sure that adjustments are being made for their progress. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about just sort of why you put out this content just for free? As, as much as I understand that you don't need to pay for this, anyone in the world who wants to be a part of it can participate. Why do you do that? Yeah, um, <laughs> I actually get that asked that a lot. Um, I, I genuinely, one of the biggest reasons why I love doing what I'm doing is because I love sharing information and, you know, whether 
it's received and taken on board and implemented with other coaches around the world or it's clients or people who have you know a shared interest in training and exercise and they're playing around with it I kind of live off that bit of feedback that I get from people to you know when they say that oh it was cool it was really helpful I enjoyed that have you got anything that kind of stuff for me is uh is really like the cherry on the top of the cake as to why I do this kind of stuff so I just genuinely get pure enjoyment and satisfaction out of just sharing knowledge and information not necessarily with the expectation of getting anything in anything in return but it's just you know I know that I've invested so much time and energy into pursuing a career in this and learning as much as I possibly can that it almost feels selfish keeping it to myself and not sharing it with others and right. um so yeah that that's really it and I just it's you know every day when I log into our system to see the results coming in the program and you know seeing clients and people in China and Philippines and Los Angeles leaving notes right. in the program as to how their training session went for the day that kind of stuff is just awesome and to be able to like have a platform to be able to reach so many different people around the world you know just on my computer screen I just find you know it's just amazing I'm not a technology guy at all which is probably why <laughs> probably why it, it amazes me so much but yeah just genuinely generally just it just really excites me and I get so much satisfaction out of it what's your um, aspiration with this training program that you've built so far um so in terms of i mean there aren't too many long-reaching goals at the moment I, I have kind of some participation targets that i'd like to hit in terms mm -hmm. of the amount of people who are regularly blogging and, and and updating their data and with that said you know if for whatever reason someone stops putting information into the system and stops recording mm -hmm. you know the first thing i'll do is i'll reach out to that person to ask you know if anything's wrong, if I can help with anything, you know, I'd noticed that they hadn't been logging their data recently. And if for whatever reason, they've decided that, you know, they don't want to follow the program anymore, they can't commit to it. I'm actually removing those people from the system. <clears throat> so it's kind of cutthroat in a way, because basically everyone who is putting their results and are dedicating you know, full time to three to three to five training sessions in a week. So the goals are, you know, immediately is to continually improve how us as a coaching team can communicate with the people following the workouts. I mean, I, I'd love for our what up, the what up system is still evolving. It's still quite a new company. So one of the reasons why we decided to partner with them is that they were very open to feedback. And so, you know, for someone who is constantly working on it every day, you know, there are little things that I always need a bit of fine tuning and tweaking to make sure that as a coach, I'm getting the most out of it, but also as a client, you're getting the most out of it. So there's some fine-tuning things to be done there. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a journey, it's a work in progress. But first and foremost, I'd like to grow participation there. But it also feeds nicely back into, you know, us promoting ourselves or building our brand as a company because mm -hmm. we're just reaching out to more people. And um, we've got mm -hmm. some really cool things like we have an athlete camp um, at Coastal Fitness HQ next weekend and then we're traveling to Hangzhou in China to run another one and a mm. lot of the people attending that athlete camp actually are dedicated followers of the group program whether it's the performance or competitors program so having the opportunity to actually meet a lot of these people that I see online and have no idea what they're really like to actually be able to have the opportunity to work with them in person is also really exciting and really cool so I guess it all kind of feeds back into the loop in terms of, you know, us and myself trying to get the message out as to what it is that we're doing and how we can help. Yeah, how it is that we can help people and how we can develop you as as 
exercise enthusiasts, athletes, you know, people striving for general improvements in life, but also we'd love to work with coaches as well and help to, to develop coaches around the region, around the world. Mm. I think one of the consistent themes that uh, keep coming up as we keep talking is the fact that there's obviously a standard that you hold people up to. And regardless of how intimidating that may seem, that doesn't change. You know, your message is your message and whoever you attract will be the people who stay with you. Um, is that, is that accurate? Am yeah, I definitely. Mis- yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think as a, as a team, we work really hard in making sure that that message as a coaching team and as an operations team is really clear and really definable. I think over time, you know, we've kind of moved in between focusing on performance, focusing on the group, focusing on the fitness mm-hmm. guys, focusing on our remote clients, focusing on our personal training clients. And I think from all those learnings, we've kind of created a really clear defining message that applies to everyone. So regardless mm-hmm. of what service it is you are doing with us, the message is still the same. I think it more more than that, it just sort of has distilled into principles, right? Yeah, absolutely. In coaching and, you know, treating the people who come through your door um, and just making them feel welcome regardless of where they're at and judging them based on their attitude instead of aptitude. Yes, that's a great way of putting it. I might even have to add that into, <laughs> <laughs> into our uh, definition. That, that That's actually incredibly cool. And it takes a lot of humility, I think, in leading a group of people and be vulnerable enough to say, look, this is what we're about. Um, we are serious about training. You need to do this X, Y, and Z in order to be a part of this. If you're not, there's a guy down the street who will take you for nothing. And you know, that's, that's where it's at. Right. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely how it is. And that's actually a conversation that we have, you know, quite frequently, but it's about, it's about delivering the message in a non patronizing way and a non non judgmental way. But to just to say that, because at the end of the day, we, we want the clientele and the people that work with us to get the most out of their training or whatever it is that they're investing in. And we've, you know, we've just found that this is just the best way for us to do it. So even, even with our group classes, there is a, a fairly lengthy um, investment both time and financially that must be made to even enter our group classes. So we, you know, we went through the whole running a one day on ramp system uh, for many years and just found that we had so many flaws with that in the sense that people were graduating into our classes with very little experience with regards to what was actually, you know, for the, on the, on the menu for the session for the day, you know, people weren't really invested in, in the time and, and the effort commitment that was required for them to really progress. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, we, we ended up having fairly high client turnover because of that. So our fundamentals process, which is what it's called now, starts with a one-on-one assessment. We don't do it in group settings anymore. You know, people must pass checklists. And, and the very first thing you must pass is just a basic movement screen and a basic strength assessment to say, you know, is our group class is going to be safe for you? And understanding that, you know, whilst we fully believe in our group program, we also understand that it might not necessarily be the best thing health-wise for you, especially if you're coming out of, you know, professional sport or you're dealing with injuries and you have huge imbalances like everyone does. You know, we want to kind, kind of try and recommend a more effective path to get them to their goals. And then, mm. so I think what you end up having is that the investment required to move into group classes, whilst it's so much more thorough and comprehensive, at the end of the day, you get people moving into group classes who understand everything that's going down in the classes. They know why they're there. They're comfortable and they're confident. 
and they fully made you know the investment into starting this journey with us and it from a coaching mm-hmm. standpoint it makes our lives so much easier because we're not from a business standpoint, as well, a business right? standpoint yeah you they, i think you end up having you end up working with people who are fully invested in the long term and who generally have just a high level understanding and education already that just makes coaching really easy and so you're not ending up not spending heaps and heaps of time pandering to certain individuals to make sure that they're safe and they're being looked after you can bring someone brand new in who's gone through the graduation process and like mm-hmm. it's like they've been there forever mm. one, one of the reasons i bring this up is because it's very easy to see that in a say new crossfit gym setting where making ends meet is is hard, right? And so a lot of people end up diluting what they believe in or compromising on their values in order to make sure that they they have enough to pay the bills. So I just out of curiosity, right? Like I want to do I wanted to do a little bit of a role play situation where I call up and I ask you know, Coastal Fitness if this is a gym for me. So if I would if I were to call up, if I'm completely new, have no, you know, background in sports and I want to lose some weight. So I call up and I say, Hey, is this coastal fitness? Um, I, I heard that this is a really great gym to get fit. Uh, what is it really about and where do I start? Cool. So how that process would start, that would go through our operations team right away. So our operations team. So how would you respond to that? Like if like just for the benefit of people who do own gyms and want to communicate yeah. who they are without, you know, compromising. Yeah. So I think the first thing is, again, just to dig a little bit deeper to find out exactly what it is that that, that client is looking for. I think I think the, the initial conversation that most people have when they call a gym is pretty much the same. You know, I want to find somewhere I want, I want to train. I want to get healthy. I'm sick of being unhealthy. You know, what can you offer me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, digging a little bit deeper, which comes, you know, which is a big part of our co- coaching development process and finding out really why that person is there is really, really important. Because, you know, you might get someone say that they're there because their husband recommended they should go see someone because they haven't trained in five years. And therefore, instantly, you can make the assumption that, you know, perhaps this person doesn't really want to be here. Maybe it's something that's been imposed on, on, onto them in thinking that it's the right thing for them. But really, you know, it's not. Maybe, you know, investing in meditative yoga might actually be a lot more beneficial to that person based upon, you know, lifestyle and stress. So, Digging a little bit deeper is the first thing we've got to do. And, and generally speaking, we always try to bring people in-house so we can have a face-to-face conversation. I think so much is yeah. lost over a phone conversation. You just can't. It's very hard to judge someone's emotions and really see how they're kind of reacting to the information that you provide them. So the first thing we'll always try and do is, is ask if they're able to come in-house for a face-to-face conversation. No commitment whatsoever, mm-hmm. purely f- for us to show them our facility and talk to them a little bit more in detail about what we can offer, but also for for them to you know, really see and decide whether this is something they're going to commit to. And I think most people who are calling with the intent of making a long-term commitment are willing to make the trip to us to hear what we have to say. And for people who say, mm-hmm. you know, I just like I just like to know about your prices. I'm going to make a judgment call based upon what your price offering is compared to another gym. Generally, those are kind of the people we won't spend too much time trying to convince and and sell to because 
we know that if someone's making nine times out of 10, I know this is an assumption, if someone's making a, a health and fitness decision based upon a price point, they're probably not going to be a long-term client for you. Very yeah, true. So I think yeah. once we've had that, we've had that conversation, we've dug a little bit deeper um, and maybe this person's agreed to come in house and we've had the conversation in house and shown the facility. It's then about finding and constructing what the best possible path will be for that client based upon a number of factors. It's you've got to consider budget. It's a budget is a conversation. that I think a lot of gyms are really scared to have because the moment you start talking about price, there's a, fear that you might lose someone or scare someone based upon your price point but i think at the end of the day budget for most of us is going to be a really important influencing factor as to whether or not you can even invest in this so one of the first things we say is we talk about the different prices and and whether it matches with someone's budget and then we basically go into detail a bit more detail with regards to you know what we think the best course of action is relative to you know what they've told us from our assessment and actually, our operations mm-hmm. team are really good at doing that process now and are kind of handling those calls on a daily basis. So we've really, it's just been a process of refinement and how can we get the most information out of a client in kind of the shortest amount of time without, you know, potentially boring someone or losing someone's interest. And then, and then you know, from that, the recommendation on, let's say, you know, Mel's called the gym and asked about training and you've gone through that whole process with the operations team is now now handing things over to the coach. And it's then the coach's role to, you know, take that conversation a little bit further and relate it to, you know, a little bit more detail in terms of health, lifestyle, training and what's what each service actually entails. And then, yeah, it's just about finding the right, right course of action because it's funny because we had a lot of people who – contact us thinking that the group program is the right thing for them but then after going through that process very quickly realize that in fact the group program isn't actually what they want to do and they actually end up investing in personal training or remote coaching or maybe a blend of the two so i think that that conversation is really really important to have because at the end of the day you want to be working with people who are there for the right reasons and they'll be your they'll be your best clients because they'll be with you forever because you've had that clarity and that honesty from the start and you haven't you know wasted time and been inefficient in putting someone towards the wrong service or charging the wrong price or making the wrong recommendation from the start mm-hmm. how did you guys arrive at this uh model we, we arrived at this model mel from making a ton of mistakes and doing all the wrong stuff <laughs> i was getting yeah, there absolutely so um this was by no means how we started and i think we, our original model as a CrossFit gym, you know, actually we call ourselves a strength and conditioning provider, but CrossFit being a service offering. But as a strength and conditioning provider, we made, I think we, we made all the classic mistakes. So, you know, we would, we would avoid the conversation on budget. We would bend the rules to cater to certain individuals because we were scared that if we didn't, they'd leave us. We didn't mm. invest thoroughly enough into creating processes that made all these jobs easier and streamlined and, and made sure that we had one message. So our messaging was just all over the place because we didn't actually, you know, write anything down or pe- put anything in place. It was kind of relying on individual talent and being able to talk about what it was that we were, but not spreading that knowledge or that skill set to the rest of the coaching team or the rest of the operations team. So I think yeah. just it's just been a work. It's just been yeah. It's just co- it's constant work and it's it's still now always being refined daily. Um, and it's always been updated. We just had a great a great team building weekend 
um, just before we opened our new facility where we had the whole coaching and operations team together and we basically revisited everything so from fundamentals to assessment to how to coach a class to how to sit down with your client for the very first time and these are all things that as a coaching team come very naturally to us and a lot of our coaching team have been in the industry for anywhere between you know three to ten years so to actually go back and strip things down to bare bones was actually awesome because we just we actually updated all of our processes to a whole nother level and just created a ton of clarity across the coaching and operations team as to what was to be expected of everyone and how we do it the best way possible because i think I think I think a lot of where it came from. I listened to a really good podcast with um, Alan Aragon, who talked about um, setting up processes in his gym. And at the end of the day, mm. you know, as a as a leader or as a business, you want the coaching process to be as simple as possible, but to be as effective as possible as well. And I know that as a coach, it's it's a it's hectic because you're you're more than just a coach. You're a psychiatrist. You're a friend. You're someone who's there to listen, but you're someone who's there to give advice as well. And the more simple you can make the whole coaching process, and the more brainless it can be, you know, follow steps one, two, and three, and ninety nine percent of the time we're going to be successful. That's what we kind of put a lot of our time and emphasis into creating. And you know, even for me, it's the first time really having to sit down and think about these kind of things. So it's been a great learning experience for me as well. And by no means are we at the perfect formula just yet. Um, but it's just, yeah, as I said, it's just, it's a moving piece that will evolve, I think, forever. Mm. I think what excites me about Coastal Fitness is just this very obvious hunger for learning. Um, it, it seems like every coach there has some sense of progression in terms of where they want to take it to. Like, I mean, I've seen Stephen Hightower go from, you know, being um, someone who was competitive in CrossFit, the in, in terms of the competition sense of the word, to, you know, delving deep into now um, body weight, calisthenics movements, and also photography and all these other artistic pursuits, which obviously supported by the gym as well. Yeah. Um, so it seems to me like there's a real culture of learning and hunger and curiosity to be better. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, that's, yeah. uh, that's something that's really ingrained in our, in our hiring protocols and hiring process. You know, people, people who are a team players because we very much operate as a team 99% of the time. Um, but also you have that thirst and that hunger for knowledge and, I think knowledge within our industry, it needs to be as broad as encompassing as possible. So to not pigeonhole yourself down just doing CrossFit certifications, which I think a lot of CrossFit gym owners and coaches, you know, think that that's the be all and end all of being a CrossFit coach. You need to, you need to learn from weightlifters, gymnasts. You need to learn from the endurance community, experienced CrossFitters, you know, everything, the more people you can learn from, um, you know, the better your skill set as a coach is going to be. And even now, you know, like it's amazing to see how much time and emphasis is going into things like understanding the brain and the mind and mindfulness and stresses and all that kind of stuff and the importance and the role that has on athletic performance. That's kind of like the newest mm. or the most, the kind of trending piece now is for a coach to kind of start delving into. So, you know, I always say to the coaching team, like yeah. don't ever pigeonhole yourself into anything. Even if you have a particular interest in something, let's say, for example, it's high tower and his bodyweight calisthenic stuff, understanding how a weightlifter works and the technical nuances of, you know, achieving 
prowess in weightlifting, there's going to be carryover somewhere into your ability mm-hmm. to coach someone with bodyweight calisthenics. And that's always been my approach to learning. I think, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier and my love for training and, and like exploration and using myself as a guinea pig, I even for me, like I always just want to try something new and I want to always, always want to learn something something that I've never done before. So having a high tower as one of our coaches delve into something that none of us had really ever explored in much detail is amazing because he has that feedback loop back into the rest of the team and we can all learn from him. And then having someone like Shingo, who's a competitive crossfitter, who's also competed in high level gymnasts, gymnastics, sorry. Mm. Also he has his his fair share of experiences and knowledge to share with the rest of the team. And we had, you know, our newest coach, Alex, who's just joined from Q8, who is, you know, competed I was gonna yeah, ask you about he that. competed <laughs> at regionals last year as an individual. Um, you know, has a background in rugby, so he's competitive, but also a really strong Olympic lifter. He has a ton of knowledge and, and experience to share as well with the team. So, you know, the more the more the more we can cover as a coaching team, I think it just updates our prescription as a company. So always always mm. pushing and encouraging people to to explore new avenues within this industry. Absolutely. Um I only have two more questions for you. We've already taken an hour of your time and it's been it's been a phenomenal chat so far. My first of the two questions would be, have you had a coaching experience um, or learning experience that has been dis- defining for you in the past 15 yeah. years you've been coaching? Um, I think uh, the biggest, I definitely link it back to, so I think just like looking back at my early development as a coach in terms of, you know, what a lot of my professional development was, was, as a rugby player, I was very, I was very passionate and very interested in like classic strength conditioning. So, you know, we had a, I had a strength coach, the team had a strength coach and I would get into daily conversation with him about, you know, why he's programmed this, you know, how do we put this into micro cycles, macro cycles? How do we peak for competitions? You know, as I said, I was so interested in the training process that naturally I gravitated towards classical strength conditioning. And so that led me mm. to pursue things like the Pollock certifications back in 2009 and then work with Owen Lacey from the Irish Strength Institute and basically all these guys who were are kind of working within the realms of classic S&C. I had Derek Woodski, who was, you know, Pollock's right-hand man for a long time. I had him as a remote coach for a while and all that stuff was great. And then I kind of, uh, obviously, you know, Andy Bratz, who's one of our coaches, who's now... Mm who's now moved to the corporate world. Bratzy was the very first one out of our team to kind of start playing around with CrossFit. So he was his CrossFit story is classic. It's I went onto CrossFit.com, started doing these workouts, got hooked, loved it, pursued it, etc. So Bratzy started dedicating himself to the CrossFit HQ, CrossFit.com workouts. And obviously me coming from a classic strength and conditioning side, I was looking at these workouts thinking that it was just insane i just thought it was crazy i thought it was nonsense <laughs> i thought like it did not, did not make, make sense. sense it basically broke all the rules that i've been you know that i'd learned from all my mentors in the last four or five years don't do it you'll get injured mm. and so i think my first experience with crossfit was different very different the complete opposite to how most people first find crossfit which is you know they did their first workout and they were hooked because it was amazing i actually did my first workout and just thought it was right. the dumbest thing in the world so i was kind of like you know <laughs> 
yeah then well, you open a gym before that before i opened the gym was you know i wanted to give it a chance you know i always as i said like i don't never wanted to be dogmatic with my learning approach i was open to everything obviously there were some really fit guys and girls who were doing this crossfit thing that were just pretty inspiring so it couldn't all be what i was seeing on crossfit.com and what andy was doing for his workouts so that's when that's when hq had their very first level one seminar in singapore so i know it popped up on the hq website uh on the dot com website sorry i saw they were coming to asia so myself andy and Ant decided together all right let's go down and learn so i kind of said right i'm going to go in open-minded i'm not going to have an opinion before i'm going to listen to these experts and hopefully i'm going to come back a different guy went to the level one and was left that level one just as frustrated as i was going into it None of my questions were answered. I still thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> I was confused as to how people were getting better by doing constant variance and avoiding structure. I was confused that no one was doing single leg, single arm work and was still getting stronger. I was confused that people were training strength, <laughs> endurance and absolute strength at the same time and getting better at both. It was all just mind boggling. So I kind of came back from that Singapore trip, just really confused, didn't know what to believe, didn't know what my own opinion of the whole thing was. And then I stumbled across James Fitzgerald's blog, OPT. I think it was called OPT Experience, which is obviously now OPEX, which is what everyone knows it as. And so stumbled across OPT and started reading about this guy. And, and actually, Bratz was the first guy that showed me him and said, Ed, I think you'll really like what this guy is saying. He stems from a very similar background to you, but he's, he's the first guy I've seen to be creating that bridge between strength conditioning and the sport of CrossFit. So I started reading up and following the blog mm. every day. And that was my very first coaching light bulb moment within the sport of CrossFit where I thought, this is awesome. Someone is coming from classic S&C background and trying to bridge the gap between the, the craziness and mayhem of CrossFit and applying some mm. form of system and structure to it to ensure progression. And that was a very first time. This was now probably 2012 where I actually thought, right, this can work. This whole CrossFit crazy thing can actually work and you can apply a system to it. And I'm not just scribbling random things on a whiteboard and expecting myself to get better. So I think from a coaching standpoint, mm. in terms of my development and where I am today and kind of what forms a lot of my thoughts can really attribute back to first discovering OPT and then signing up to level one and doing the program design assessment. And I actually ended up going through and completing all of it in the end. Um, but that was the biggest mm the biggest game changer for me. And I think after understanding, because I could pick up, I picked up a lot of those systems and protocols very quickly because I already had the strength training background and I understood how periodization worked. So then it was just about understanding the sport of CrossFit and what's required to, to, to excel in it and then applying those sound principles to the sport. And that's still, again, that's still a process that's on constantly ongoing because no one really knows how, the madness of this sport really works how are people still getting better and better and how are people getting stronger and how do you work with adolescents versus adults and you know you know how do you create a system that guarantees success every time so it's still so much in its infancy and it's still why i'm so passionate about it is because it's there's just so many question marks still and you know you're learning something right. new every time you watch a new athlete try a new session and follow a new progression or follow a new template it's just, yeah, it's just amazing. So I think, you know, when you're asking me about the biggest defining moment for me, it's definitely been the discovery of James Fitzgerald and, and his philosophy and thought process, then pursuing his 
certification program. And then it's just basically been learning from as many other people who share those thoughts and ideas. And, you know, it's just trial and error now. It's just, you know, trying things and seeing if they work. And if they don't, maybe don't use them again. And if they do, then just investigate a little bit further. And I think that's just the general process of coaching. Right. I I think another common theme that has popped up in our conversation is just this kind of method to the madness uh, that, you know, that seems to apply to your life apart from obviously your journey from being a professional athlete or just somebody who's very athletic by nature um, into, you know, trying trial and error through the systems of becoming a business person and running a business as as successful as Coastal Fitness. Um, I guess my last question to wrap up with you would be if there was a daily habit that you think you would carry on for the rest of your life, what would it be? Hmm, a habit. Are you, are you a ritualistic person? Do you have like your breakfast is the same and your dinner is always the same? I'm, I'm a creature of habit massively. I'm never afraid to admit that. I, uh, but even still like, <laughs> even those my rituals and my habits are constantly being updated. So currently what I've been doing, I actually talked about it a fair bit on my Instagram profile. I'm sorry if I break away from your question a bit, Mel, but I, uh, no, so I dedicated no, the whole month of December to doing Wim Hof breathing. So every mm. morning, as soon as I woke up, I would go through three to four breath cycles, uh, with, you know, every time you do your breath cycle with, with Wim Hof, you hold your breath for as long as you can after a full force exhale. So I kind of set goals within myself to try and my first goal was I, I want to do a full exhale and hold two minutes in a breath cycle. Uh, and I did a lot of reading on Wim Hof. I listened to a lot of his podcasts. I kind of delved into the science and research behind it, which is still very inconclusive, but you know, the guy's doing something that works. So why not try it? So then I would finish my Wim Hof breathing, sat on my living room floor in darkness, and then I would move to the shower and have an ice cold shower for as long as I could tolerate. The goal was hit two minutes. And that was basically my, uh, yeah, that was my December routine. And I'm assuming that because you're a personal trainer, this happens at 4 a.m. in the morning. It varies, but regardless of what time I wake up. So even if I'm coaching a 515 class, like I still have to go to the protocol. Um, how long does that whole protocol So the breathing take? was about five to seven minutes, depending on how many cycles I could manage. And then the shower was two to three mm. minutes. And then it would be out the shower, have a shot of apple cider vinegar mixed with turmeric and ginger and lemon juice, and then hit my breakfast. So that was always my, that's been my morning routine for the last month. Um, have you seen any difference? The Wim Hof stuff was really interesting. Uh, because not obviously you develop an adaptation to breath holding after a like after a full CO2 exhale. So that was quite cool. And seeing like the ability to add like two to five seconds almost daily up to a point where I stopped adding anymore. But then I started, I started to notice how interesting mindfulness whilst doing that was. So I think when I could completely shut out my thoughts and just be present in the moment and the exercise of breathing, I could hold two minutes every time. The moment my mind started wondering and thinking about my next hour of coaching, what I'm going to have for breakfast, mm. what my training session is that day, the moment my mind escaped and went elsewhere, I'd get halted at like 1 minute 15, 1 minute 30 every time. And this was me forcefully mm. trying to hold up until the point of like hitting your gasp reflex, like when it gets really uncomfortable. So that was really interesting, mm. just kind of 
just seeing what would happen with regards to where my thoughts went whilst doing the exercise and the implications that had on my ability to hold my breath. But I think also what having ice cold showers, ice cold showers in the morning, I've also built up a tolerance to it now as well. So that's been really cool because I can step into an ice cold shower or jump in an ice bath and a plunge pool, which we used to do as rugby players all the time. And I used to hate it and be pathetic with it. But now I can do it and actually have like, it, it doesn't take my breath away. It doesn't startle me. I can actually sit there quite comfortably for two minutes, like under an ice cold shower. And then I think the transfer mm. to saw huge effects and benefits with regards to like my energy levels and mood, especially throughout the first half of the day, just generally alert. I mean, coming out of an ice cold shower is just an amazing feeling versus coming out of like a, sh- a hot shower. You walk out and you're groggy and trying to slap yourself in the face early morning, trying to wake yourself up. And then, yeah, the application of the breathing and using things like your diaphragm and hyperventilating breathing and seeing the transfers of that into a training and competition scenario. So understanding that, you know, stress, anxiety, and all those kind of typical stress-related symptoms that we have as athletes relates very closely to hyperventilation, the feeling that you get when you do Wim Hof breathing, versus if you want to be sustainable and keep things at a more aerobic level, then you know the emphasis of diaphragmatic breathing and, and not moving up to your chest because that just elicits all the stress symptoms again. So just kind of drawing parallels between those two things and thinking about it all the time was really interesting. So now that morning routine is I've replaced Wim Hof with like a 10-minute movement routine every morning. So I'm kind of like playing around with movement floor work as well as some static stretching work, as well as some kind of like basic yoga flowing and kind of having that is my seven to 10 minute morning routine first thing out of bed, then moving into my cold shower and seeing how that makes me feel, um, which has been cool. Mm-hmm. So that's my kind of January experiment at the moment. So I'm two weeks into that and been feeling really good. So I don't know, everything just for me, I'm just, a, I like using myself as a guinea pig and experimenting on myself first before I experiment on anything else. Or anyone else so do you think one of the habits that you'll possibly carry on for the for the rest of your life is to continue doing these experiments yeah yeah probably yeah i'll, <laughs> I'll always be yeah i'm always willing to sacrifice myself to an experiment for sure um but i mean that, that, i think i want to yeah. note for for the benefit of future listeners of this podcast that while you were doing this ice cold shower test and wim hof breathing thing um, it is currently, what, eight degrees in yeah, Hong Kong or something so crazy? My, my water temperature <laughs> right now is brutal. <laughs> but amazingly, like, I can still handle it. Not a problem. That's yeah. amazing. That is ridiculous. Uh, sorry, what? In, well, I need to go back to what inspired the Wim Hof um, experiment. So it was a – what was the first thing that got me interested in it? It was a Joe Rogan podcast that very first kind of like exposed me to Wim Hof. Actually, my so my coach, Kyle Ruth, who was uh, based over in, in Atlanta with Training Think Tank. So we started talking about Wim Hof breathing a fair bit. We do a lot of, we talk a lot about working in versus working out and, and understanding the symptoms of stress. And I mean, we both know that I'm a fairly stressed guy in the sense that I like to do a lot of things. And sometimes my training gets impacted by a lot of the other things that I do. So the last kind of mm-hmm. two years in my training journey has been really about dialing back what I'm actually doing on the training floor 
and putting more time and emphasis into everything else around it. So whether that's meditation, breathing, mindfulness, uh, stretching and movement mobility routines, that's kind of been, that's taken a lot of precedence in my training. I think that's probably been reflected quite a bit in terms of the content I post as well. Um, just have a, just really, really interested in that kind of stuff. Um, sorry, Mel, going back to your question, which has now completely eluded <laughs> me. What was it? <laughs> Which was, uh, what is the habit that you think you will take into for the rest of your life? Yes. You felt like you asked another question after that, though, just before that. Did you? No, that was, that <laughs> that was, was the main question. question. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Um, God, where was I going with this? Um, but I mean, okay. We were talking about your experience, Yeah, so I, I definitely think, I just, I know given the type of person I am, that I'm going to, I'm probably going to be a very busy guy because I'm going to make myself busy for probably a large majority of my life. So I think in order for me to maintain, to make sure I stay healthy, meditation and mindfulness is always going to be probably a regular thing as part of my day. And whatever, whatever way or form or shape that looks like, I'm not really sure, but currently it means, you know, dedicating 30 minutes, at least a day to reading. It means shutting my eyes and, and doing some specific meditative breathing drills every day, usually before bedtime, and just actually just being silent and present in my surroundings for about 10 minutes every day. I have a feeling those three things are going to be with me to the grave. Awesome. That's, those are gems, and those are things that people can definitely pick up on. I mean, considering the fact that we live in a – society that's over caffeinated and just overstimulated yeah, in general. Usually. All right. I, I think that wraps us up. Uh, there were a lot of good sound bites that we've gotten. And I, I think stories that are just absolute gems. Thank you so much for spending some time. Thanks, with us, Mel. Been a blast. No problem at all. Um, where can people find you for more information about coastal fitness or about you as a coach? Cool. So our, uh, I'm going to make sure I don't get this wrong. So I have a personal Instagram account, which is, probably where i put most of my uh, most of my content so my instagram mm -hmm. handle is ed underscore haynes underscore coach uh we have a coastal fitness ig which is constantly updated um and that is coastal fitness hk and of course we have our website coastalfitnesshk.com those are probably the best places to find find out about us and if you guys are ever in hong yes. kong make sure you guys check out their brand new facility where is it, it at? Is still on Watson Road, just across the road. Uh, ground floor, amazing space. We're always open to having people drop in and train with us. So, yeah, drop me a message. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you, Mel. And that's it. It's a wrap. And to all three of you who made it all the way to the end, thank you so much for listening. Before you leave, I would love to put power in your hands to give me a story or someone to interview that you'd love to see on this podcast. So hit up Instagram, type in at better podcast and leave me a message. Thanks guys. Peace.